All right, so I want you to look at verse 8 of Acts chapter 21. And notice it says, In the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Now, we're going to come back to this passage in a little bit and say more about it. But I want you to notice this character mentioned, Philip the Evangelist is what he's called. Philip the Evangelist, and that's the title of the message today, Philip the Evangelist. And this is kind of a Bible study that we're going to do, but at the same time, I'm going to sh- we're going to do a little Bible study about Philip the Evangelist, and then there is a very important application I want you all to make in your own personal life. Something very important that we understand, especially when it comes to being an evangelist. Because okay, we've all known evangelists. We've had some evangelists come through here. You know, you've met you know, somebody, you know, I'm evangelist so-and-so. And they often use that as a title. And, I'm not, and I don't think that's completely inappropriate. I mean, we see Philip here. He's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. But we ought to ask ourselves the question, why is he called Philip the Evangelist? Because we don't see that word used a whole lot in the Bible. But it is one that's definitely there. And Philip is the only one that we really see with that title. Okay? I'm not saying he's the only one that had that title, but he's the only one that we really see in the Bible. And so I want us to learn some things from this. Okay? Cause, and I don't, because I don't believe, too, that there needs to necessarily be a cookie-cutter evangelist. Okay? We're not going to look at the life of Philip and say anyone who doesn't meet every single thing that Philip did should be called an evangelist. I'm not saying that at all. I think an evangelist can cover a pretty wide variety of things. And I I believe they do play a role in the church. We'll see some scriptures on that in a little bit. But let's take a look at Philip the Evangelist in the Bible, and let's see what we can learn about him. And I think it will help us understand why he is called Philip the Evangelist. There's a very important lesson I want us to learn from this. So first off, what is an evangelist? What does that term mean? And it's really pretty simple. An evangelist is just a preacher of the gospel. Okay. An evangelist is a preacher of the gospel. And if that's the case, then, if you're a soul winner, you're an evangelist. Okay, If you're a soul winner, if you're somebody who's preaching the gospel, you're an evangelist. And that even includes ladies. Okay, If you're out evangelizing, if you're out telling people how to get saved, you are an evangelist. You are evangelizing. You are a preacher of the gospel. But, you know, at the same time, though, so should all of you go out and get business cards made? Saying, you know, evangelist, so-and-so, you know, evangelist, Cassandra McMurtry, you know, or, you know sh- should you, should you do that? You know, is that really appropriate? You know, one thing that we see a lot, you know, in the old IFB world, uh, they'll have people, uh, they'll have young people, they'll encourage them to come and surrender to the mission field, surrender to be preachers, surrender to be an evangelist. And then you'll have these young people, they'll come and they'll say, like, you know, the Lord's called me to be an evangelist. And then it's like immediately they want to go out and get business cards made up. So, you know, evangelist so-and-so. And then they expect the phone calls to start coming in, you know, for, of preachers asking them to just come and fill a pulpit and just preach to the congregation. And, you know, that is a part of evangelism, too. I'll show you that in a little bit in the Bible. But at the same time, you know, so some little squirt who felt like he had the call, you know, go around calling himself an evangelist. And I think when we see Philip uh, and, and why we I think we're going to see in the Bible why he was called an evangelist. And while all of us should be evangelists, okay, everybody, every one of us should be evangelists. I don't really believe all of us should go around calling ourselves evangelists so and so. And so let, let's look at some things about Philip 
that will hopefully understand this. Because there, there's, there's many, and, and a way to illustrate this too, you know, there's a lot of things that we all do. There's a lot of different works that we all do. How many in here has ever worked on a car before? Okay. All right. I, I've done a little bit of work on cars before. But should I call myself a mechanic? Now, I did the work of a mechanic. But let me ask you, how much ability do I have to have working on cars before I call myself a mechanic? You know, now, some would say, well, if that's what you do for a living, if somebody's paying you to do that work, you know, if, you're, if, it's, a, if it's a full-time job, if you've maybe been licensed, you know, there's a lot of different standards one might have before they would actually call someone a mechanic. You know, when I remodeled our bathroom, I did a bunch of plumbing work. And, you know, it's like two years later, and it's all still not leaking. But am I a plumber? <laughs> no. Okay. I, I, it was such a traumatic experience. When I redo my other bathroom, yeah, I don't want to do the plumbing on that. I want to have a plumber come and do that for me. The only thing I'm worried about, though, is I'm afraid... You know, all the plumbing work that you can see in the basement that's under the one bathroom is right next to our other bathroom, and he's going to see my other work. And I don't know if my male pride is going to be able to handle what he's going to have to say about that, because he's probably going to want to redo all of it. But it works. It doesn't leak. But should I call myself a plumber? Okay. No, pr probably not. You know, and so just because, you know, you go soul winning, you know, should you really call yourself an evangelist? Should you go really, uh, you know, go around trying to claim that title? You know, I can draw a picture. It's not very good, but should I call myself an artist? You know, and so do you see how a lot of people today, they all want these titles. You know, everybody wants a title. Everybody wants something bestowed upon them. And people today, they don't really want to earn these things. And so anyone that's out there, if you're doing any kind of evangelist work, you know, if you want, you can declare yourself an evangelist, but there is a difference between, you know, the punk that just declares themselves an evangelist, just who just wants a title versus the individual who has proved themselves and is being used of God. That's being used in churches or a church that's actually accomplishing something. And so I say all this to say that if you're a soul winner, you are an evangelist, but don't be too quick to go out printing up the business cards. Don't be too quick to do that. And I'm also here to, I'm not here today to declare any evangelist illegitimate. But I will say that there are many evangelists who are right on doctrine who I don't have any use for, that I wouldn't be interested in using. And it doesn't mean, but it also doesn't mean that they are useless. Because turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Notice what it says here. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12, it says that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So notice here that the purpose, one of the purposes of an evangelist is for the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry. So there have been evangelists people who have that title evangelist or who call themselves evangelists that we've had come through here before. But every evangelist I've ever had, and I haven't had a lot come through here, all the ones that I've had, I've had because they did. They had something unique that they, I felt that they could bring to our church that would be a blessing to our church. You know, we had evangelist Scott Netterville that came through here that, you know, that one thing that he does is he helps get soul winning programs going in churches. You know, he... Uh, he came out here and he did a lot of soul winning while he was out here. 
And, you know, he, the things that he did benefited our church and he did a good job preaching too. You know, some of you remember him and everybody enjoyed his preaching. And so, you know, when he came, we were edified by, by what he did. You know, we've, uh, we've, there's others that we've had that, you know, have unique talents. They have unique abilities and they use these things to be an encouragement and a help to a church. And there's, there's guys that we've had. I like what they do. I thought this will benefit our church. Our church will enjoy this. Our church will be edified. I want to have these people come in. And they were, they were a blessing. Then there's other evangelists out there. You know, maybe their thing that they do is, you know, they do, uh, you know, Christian magic tricks or something like that, you know, and encourage people. And it's like, you know, and, and they'll call themselves evangelists. It's like, uh, I'm not really, I don't think we really need that in our church. Or, you know, they always, they have a lot of these different specialties. And it's just, you know, I'm not interested in it. Okay. And I don't want to name too many of these things because they're not necessarily bad things, but there's just really no benefit to it here. I've had some guys that have called that are, I mean, they have very specific ministries. And they like want to come present at our church or preach at our church. But I'm just like, nobody here would care about that. At all. We, we have nobody in this church that meets that. But I'm not going to go declare them illegitimate. Okay? They do have a ministry that's very specific from based on their own unique experience, their own unique background, and they want to use it to be a help in churches. And there's probably some churches where they could be a blessing. And so if they are, if they're if they're preaching the gospel and while and using, you know, as long as they're doing that too. You know, I, I don't have a problem with calling them an evangelist. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to take away their title and, and call them illegitimate. So there is, there's a huge variety of people out there who have a huge variety of gifts, who will call themselves evangelists, who do a lot of different things. But the ones I'm interested in are the ones that have something that will edify our church, that will be a blessing to our church. And many of these evangelists, all they want to do is come preach. And I've had many of these guys call where it's like, I don't know who they are. I've never heard of them. And they just, they'll call me up. I, I've wondered, he calls me every year. And he's like, you know, hey, hey, Pastor McMurtry, just, uh, and, he, and the way he asks too, he's just like, um, trying to schedule meetings right now for your area and just wonder if I could just come and be a blessing to your church. And the way he says it, he, it doesn't sound like he's going to be that great. You know, he, he doesn't sell himself very good at all. And I'm just, you know, and I don't want to be mean to the guy because he might be a great guy, but I'm thinking, I don't know you. I know nothing about you. I don't know your church that you're from. And, you know, we can't afford for you to be a blessing to our church, you know, because a lot of times, too, you know, they want you to support them. They want you to give them offerings. And some of these guys, that's all they do. All they do is get up and they preach sermons. Some of these guys, I mean, they've got 10 sermons that they preach. And then they just go and preach them in all these different churches. And that's all they do. They don't go out soul winning. I mean, they, they show up and they work one hour a day in the evening. They're not studying during the week. They never have any new messages. I'm not interested in those people. Okay? Now, they're doing some good things. They're getting some people saved. They're encouraging some churches. But in our church, the way we are, we just don't care about that. Okay? You know, I feel like, you know... And, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything. And this is based off of what I've gotten from you. But when we first started the church, I was having a lot more of these different speakers and things come in. And, you know, the problem I was finding out is nobody liked them. You all didn't like them. You liked my preaching better. All right. I was flattered. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, if these people aren't even edifying our church, what's the point? 
You know, we can't afford to just be giving these people big love offerings and things like they want. And so, uh, you know, I'm not here to declare them illegitimate, but we just we just don't need them. And if you want to be an evangelist, you need to be doing something that people need. You know, you need to find some way to be a blessing. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let's look at Philip though. Because there are, there's too many people and there's an expectation with young men, especially today, who they feel like God's called them to be an evangelist. And that to them means I preach in different pulpits across America. And then they expect you to use them. I mean, and uh, I, I've talked to preachers. I, I, there's one preacher in particular. He was always telling other pastors, you know, in our church, we support the office of evangelists, you know, and, and you know, you need to use these evangelists. You need to use these men. And they would like pressure us to use these evangelists. And one in particular, and I'm not going to name them too, because the evangelist did not ask for this to be done, but the evangelist was there. The pastor was there. I was at this meeting. There's a bunch of preachers there and he pretty much got up and he rebuked all the preachers for not using evangelists enough. And he's like, you know what we're going to do right now? We need to raise some support for this evangelist. And he like called on preachers to pledge monthly support and to schedule meetings with them. And obviously, uh, I didn't schedule any meetings with him, nor did I give him any money. But uh, so don't worry, I didn't pledge any of our money in that situation. But I just thought, you know, if he was doing something that was really being a blessing and really being a help to churches, he wouldn't have to beg. But if all he's doing is just going and preaching sermons. If they've got a pastor that's a good preacher, the church is already good there. You know, what does he have that's different? What does he have that's, that's unique? And so I don't think that we are obligated to just support every guy that calls himself evangelist. Or that we're just required to have them all come and preach for us and give big love offerings. Okay, So if you decide you want to be an evangelist, understand you have no rights. Okay, Nobody owes you anything. Nobody, nobody owes you anything. So don't just get this attitude and just, you know, have this handout mentality. Just waiting for somebody to fill your hand because you bestowed a title upon yourself. That's not right. That's not good. And that's not how it was with Philip. Philip earned his title of Philip, the evangelist, as he was called in Acts chapter 21. Now, how did he earn it? Let's, let's look at his background. Turn over to Acts chapter 6. Hey, turn over to Acts chapter 6 because you'll notice in Acts chapter 21, because this is talking about the same Philip, because it mentions Philip the evangelist and it says who was one of the seven. And that's referring to the seven original deacons that were ordained in that early church. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Those are thousands of disciples. Okay, We've got twelve guys, and they need help doing some work, doing the menial tasks. Doing the labor. And so they call a multitude of disciples. Okay? So we're, we're, we've got a multitude. We have thousands of people who are not just saved, but who are following Christ. And out of this multitude of people, it says, it said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. 
and they, okay, that multitude chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip. And then Nate goes on and names the rest of those names. So notice Philip, this guy is in the midst of a multitude of disciples. And whenever they said, hey, there's work that needs to be done. We need somebody to do this daily ministration. He was one of seven people out of a multitude that were chosen. Therefore, Philip was already a standout guy. We've got thousands of people talking, saying, hey, who are we going to use? Well, you know, nobody picked Philip because, well, you know, Philip, last Sunday at the altar call, he went up and he said that God called him to be a deacon. That's not what happened. You know who called Philip to be a deacon? The multitude called Philip to be a deacon. And why did they do that? Okay, why? I mean, we don't know, but there's no doubt it's because he was already doing the work. Hey, here's some guys. They're already here serving all the time. I mean, these guys, they've been a blessing. They've been ministering. They've been doing all this work. If we need somebody, if we as a multitude are going to support some guys full time and give them the work to do, let's give it to Stephen. Let's give it to Philip. These guys are great guys that are already doing the work. Not just some guys who just gave themselves a title and now expect everybody to go along with it. These were uh, this. Philip was a man that the multitude chose because he was a standout guy. So before there was the Philip, there was Philip the evangelist. There was Philip the deacon slash table server slash caregiver of widows. Because those are the things that were brought up. This is the guy that was already done doing it. So he was someone chosen by the congregation, but then ordained by the apostles. So he wasn't called of God, but he was called by the congregation. And so he was somebody that I believe was doing the work before he had any title. Now, why is that? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you don't have to turn over there. But when he's giving the qualifications for a deacon, you know, he said, you know, let them first be proved. You know, you need to prove these guys first. Let's see how they do the work first. Before we give them the title, let's see how they do with the work. Okay? And isn't that the way it is before you are a plumber? Don't you have to be an apprentice first? You've got to be an apprentice first. And you've got to prove to another plumber that you can actually be a plumber. You got to prove you can actually do the work, and then you actually will become, the, you know, the licensed plumber. And before somebody ever gets a title, they should already be doing the work. They should already prove that they can do the work, and that's somebody, that's something I believe Philip did. He was not some punk, fresh out of Bible college, says I got my diploma. You know, now now give me the title. You know, he wasn't somebody that was just looking for a platform, that was just looking for love offerings. That wasn't what Philip was. He was somebody who was already doing the work, and therefore he was chosen to do work, to do the menial task. And before you ever have any position or any authority, you should always be a servant first. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 27, it says, And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Anybody who ever comes in here who wants some position, who wants some title, who wants some place of authority, you know what? He ought to be shining all our shoes first. Let him be your servant. Okay? Let, let's see him do the work first. And that's not just, not just for me. Okay? He's not just being my Elisha first. No, he's serving the congregation. And this is something that I believe very strongly in. I believe when it comes to ordination, it is not just about what I think and what I say. It's about what the congregation says. 
And let me tell you something. Any man in here who ever has any hopes of being ordained, understand you're not just campaigning for me. You're campaigning for the congregation. You better, you better impress this entire congregation. You better be a blessing to this entire church. Don't just get in good with me as the pastor. You better get in good with the whole congregation. Because you better believe when the time comes or when it gets close, I'm going to open the floor. Okay? Not necessarily in the service, but I'm going to let the word out. Hey, we're thinking about ordaining this guy. If somebody in this church has seen any reason why this guy shouldn't be ordained, you better let me know. If you saw him somewhere he shouldn't be, you better let me know. If he's been teaching some kind of false doctrine you know, behind my back to somebody else in the church, you all better let me know. And I don't believe we ought to go around tattletailing on everybody in the church and things like that. But let me tell you, when it comes to people who are looking for a place of leadership in the church, you know what? Y'all are allowed to be tattletales in that situation. And so I be, that's something I believe very strongly. And I do believe in involving the congregation in these things. When I was ordained, they brought me publicly before the entire congregation. And the preachers, they questioned me right there on the spot. And they put it out there in the whole congregation. It was, it was evangelist Jack Parchman was the one that was kind of heading it all up. And he did. He asked the congregation, is there any reason we shouldn't ordain this guy? You know, he opened it up for the congregation to ask me questions. You know, when I was there, I don't, th I don't think anybody did. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly. But, you know, because they were about to publicly and they, uh, give me a biblical authority that they took very serious. And if there was a reason that they should not do that, they need, it needed to be known. And they had their opportunity, you know, and now it's, now it's too late. Now I, got, I, got, I got the position now. I got, I, I got the power now. But anyway, uh, I'm just, just having fun there. But, you know, any, any, but Philip, he was a servant before he was ever Philip the evangelist. Before he ever had guys like the Apostle Paul staying at his house. You know, Philip, he was serving before Paul was ever doing anything, too. You know, when this all happened, the Apostle Paul, he was still Saul persecuting the church. Philip, but Philip was around. Philip was somebody who had a long history of serving God. So, we, so another thing we know about Philip is that he was doing the work of a deacon before he became a deacon. And we also see he was doing the work of an evangelist before he was called an evangelist. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 8. Now, this is another famous story in the Bible, uh, the story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it notes what it says in verse 4. It says, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down into the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So persecution is going on. And while persecution is going on, boy, these guys, they're not going into hiding like you're supposed to do. They're just preaching the gospel wherever they go. If they get scattered somewhere, oh, we'll preach the gospel over here. Well, they run us off. We'll go preach the gospel over there. All right, kind of like what we do. We're going to apartment complexes and things and getting run off. All right, you know, we just then we just we just go somewhere else. You know, we just we keep on preaching the gospel wherever we can go. And then sometimes we even go back to those places too, hoping they forget about us. You know, it just that, that that's what we do. And it says in verse six, and the people with one accord gave heed unto these things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many who were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. So notice Philip here, I mean, while this is all going on, he's not feeling sorry for himself for being persecuted. Man, he's preaching the gospel. And not only is he preaching the gospel, but he's very successful. 
People are hearing Him and they're believing. People are hearing Him. They're following Him. He's doing great works. Now, listen, you know, God bless everyone who preaches the Gospel, but you know, some aren't very good at it. Now, if you're not very good at it, don't quit. You know what? Get better at it. Okay? Get better at it. Keep trying. Keep practicing. But understand that if you're not very good at it, you may not be used as much as someone who is good at it. So, you need to try, you know, so if we're not, we're not going to have this attitude, well, we're all evangelists, therefore we're all equal. Well, no, if one guy's getting the job done, another one's not, we're going to use one getting the job done. Say, well, that's discrimination. Well, don't we do that with restaurants? Don't you do that with mechanics? Well, this guy, yeah, he's a mechanic, he's got the title, but you know what? My car broke down a week after he fixed it, and I had to do it again, I had to go to another mechanic, he fixed it, and it kept working. So, yeah, they're both mechanics, but who are we going to go to? We're going to go to the guy who's getting the job done. We're going to go to the one who actually can do things and do things right and do them well. That's who we're going to use. And we're not going to have this attitude, well, you know, we owe him because he put up a mechanic shop and he put up a sign. You know, and he got like, no, we don't, owe, we don't owe anybody. If you're not doing the work very good, you know, it doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. You might be, you might be nicer than the good mechanic. But you know what? I'm going to go to the good mechanic. That's getting the job done. And, you know, and you might have the greatest intentions in the world. And I'm not bashing anybody who's just not very good. You know, some people just struggle. Some people it takes longer. But just understand, you know, you don't need to go giving yourself some big title. Okay. And Philip was somebody who was very successful at what he did. And I believe that played into him being called an evangelist later. Jump to verse 26 of Acts chapter 8 says, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth, toward, uh, goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. And he come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And you all know the story. Philip runs over to that man. He takes off running to that man. And he's reading. He's like, he said, hey, understandest what thou readest? He said, man, how can I accept some guy? And he, what did Philip do? He went and he preached unto him Jesus. Now notice, if, and if you read all of Acts chapter 8, I mean, revival is spreading. Great works are being done. And Philip is front and center in these great works. Philip is right there. Everywhere he's going, he's going from city to city. He's going everywhere, preaching the gospel. And then the Lord calls him out of where all the action is at, to go to one guy out in the desert. Which I think is pretty amazing. Shows how God cares about that one soul. And you know what? Philip, he didn't have this attitude saying, well, what kind of love offering am I going to get preaching to one guy? You know? I want to preach, you know, at the big churches out here. We got the big crowds out here. This is where the money's at. You know, I can't afford. And man, I'm telling you, I had so many preachers when I started my church tell me, you know, these evangelists, hey, if there's anything I ever do, just let me know. And I, listen, I'm from that world. I know that's code for, hey, I'll love to come preach for you. But I also know I'm also supposed to take care of all of his expenses, give him a big fat love offering. And they, they all say, you know, I'll come for nothing. But if they come for nothing, then you're their sermon illustration that they tell everywhere. 
when they're giving their sob stories about his evangelist, you know, I went and preached for a whole week. You know, I had no money. You know, they gave me nothing. You know, and I had to hitchhike on the way to get home. You know, you know they, they, I, I've heard all those stories. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that church. But, you know, these people really could have been a blessing. They really could have helped when we started the church, but I couldn't afford their help. And you know what? There's people out there that have reached out for help for me, for our church. And you know what? When they when they're like that, I understand that. And I don't charge them. You know, I do. I do. I actually want to go and deliver on what these guys always offered, but couldn't. I want to actually go and be a blessing. And I'm thankful that you know we're able to do that, and that the, you know you as a church allow me to do that because I know what it's like just starting a church and just trying to get things going. And being a preacher, you're just kind of out there all by yourself. Sometimes you just want some fellowship. Sometimes you just want some fellowship from another pastor, another preacher. Sometimes you just want to be able to sit down with them and just be able to talk and get some advice. Hey, how do I get things going out here? What do I do? And you know, I can't tell you how many of these guys I would have loved to have to come out here, but I just couldn't afford it. And so when I find out there's somebody out there, you know, that could use use my help and use, you know, I could be a blessing to, I want to actually do it. I, I really do because I know I know what they need. And Philip, man, he did he he had a humble attitude. He was he's willing to go wherever he could. We see in verses four and five, he preached everywhere he could. We see in verse 6 that he was successful in getting converts. He proved himself with great works. And people were also happy with his work. It says in verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. Now, listen, I understand sometimes when you preach the gospel, you know, wicked people get mad about it, okay? But, you know, some people are just good. But there's always going to be those who receive it with joy, who love it. Now, we've had some people come through here that nobody likes. Spencer Smith, uh, he, he's literally the only evangelist I've ever had come through here where like people in the congregation like complained about him, right? And, you know, maybe it was just, you know, I liked him. I thought it was funny and everything, you know, but the, you know, maybe some of you, it was mainly older people who I think probably just have more wisdom. They saw right through it. And you were right. You know, he turned out to be a coward and a fraud. But it just, he's literally the only one. He's literally about, he's about the only one. And he's, he's a pretty sorry excuse uh, for an evangelist, but you know, at, at the same time, you know, if everywhere you go, you just make everyone mad, don't expect to keep getting used. Okay? Evangelists are known for blowing in, blowing up, and blowing out. Okay? They do. They just come in and they just let it rip, man. They just, just tear everybody apart. And the thing is, you know, our church has always handled hard preaching very well since we've started. But I believe a lot of that is because you all know me and know I actually care. And, you know, when somebody else just comes in and just rips you up, it's like, who are you? You know, isn't that how you feel? You know, who are you to tell me, you know, just that that's the attitude, you know, because you, you don't know them. You don't care that they have a business card that says evangelist. And so when they just come in and just go ballistic, it, that's not edifying. And there's, there's evangelists that do that. They go and they split churches. They cause problems for the pastor. And then they brag about it. Ah, oh, these churches are too liberal. They just can't handle me. No, you're just an idiot. You're not a blessing. You're not, you're not edifying that church. 
It's not your job to straighten out all their problems in one sermon. That's the pastor's job to deal with all that stuff. You're supposed to be there for the edifying of the saints. You're supposed to be helping that church. And then they, they do. They sit around and they wonder why they can't get any meetings, why nobody wants to support them. And it's because they're no good. Philip the Evangelist, we see that he was people. There was joy there because people were hearing the gospel. They were learning things. They were getting saved. And yes, there's always going to be a crowd out there that gets mad, but it's usually the lost. It's usually the lost that are doing that. So when, when you're in a congregation of believers and you make all of them mad, what's wrong with you? And sometimes, you know, they, they might just end up somehow in some really sorry liberal church. But most of the time that's not the case. They just, you know, they're, they're so there's just nothing good about them. They're not helping. So Philip, he wasn't too big of a, uh, you know, he wasn't too big. He wasn't such a hot shot. He couldn't go out to the desert and preach to one man when sent. And that's exactly what he did. And it says in verse 39, when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip was found at Azotus and passing through. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So an angel, he, he takes him out of that desert. What does he do? He puts him right back in the city. You know why? Because Philip was a valuable asset for the cause of Christ. And you know what? God didn't want to waste time with him traveling through a desert. He's like, you know, I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to get you back to the city because you know why? God needed him. Philip was needed because he was doing a great work. And so he's preaching in all the cities. So when you've got a guy that this is what he's known for, this is his reputation, this is what he does. He just preaches, he gets the job done. You know what I would probably call a guy like that? Philip the evangelist. Because said everybody was evangelizing back then. But not like Philip. Philip was just very good at it. Philip was somebody who was very successful at what he did. And so by the time Philip is called an evangelist, he had years of experience under his belt. You know, and according to timelines and things, I don't know how accurate these are of the book of Acts, but in 31 AD, Philip was ordained to be a deacon. In 35 AD, that's when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Four years later, that's when he's mightily being used of God. Okay? Not... You know, the week after he bought his business cards, saying Philip the Evangelist. Okay, this was this was this was several years later. This story that we started out with. Go ahead and turn back to Acts chapter twenty-one, where he's called Philip the Evangelist for the first time. This was roughly twenty-five years later in fifty-seven A.D. So Philip, he's got years of experience under his belt now. This is a guy who's been doing the work of the Lord. For a long time, let's go ahead and read a little bit more about Philip. So it says in verse 8, In the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So notice about Philip, not only did he have many years of experience under his belt, not only did he have a reputation of being an evangelist, he had an extremely exceptional family. He has these four daughters, that are virgins that are prophesying. Okay? Now listen, I, I know what we believe about women preachers, and we don't need to we don't need to mess up with the Bible's teaching. All right, okay? that he had four daughters that did prophesy. Now I've heard some people say that just means they were soul winners. Well, I guarantee you they were soul winners with a, with a dad like him, women that were being used by this, women that did prophesy. But I believe they actually prophesied. Okay, that doesn't mean they usurped authority over the man. 
doesn't mean that they were running things in the church. It just means they did prophesy. It's not talking about souling there. It's talking about actually prophesying. Okay, I'll prove it to you. Let's keep reading. So it mentions he has virgins that did prophesy. Some would say, well, that's referring to souling. But let's see if when we continue talking about prophesying, if it's talking just about souling. It says in verse 10, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, this is a prophet, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. What's he doing? He's prophesying. He's telling him, hey, if you go there, you're going to be bound. It says in verse 12, And when he had heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. So notice, after it mentions these daughters that prophesied, it mentions another guy who was a prophet. What did he do? He prophesied the same way they did. And they, these people, they understood by the Holy Ghost that Paul was going to be, you know, taken prisoner. But, you know, Paul said, I'm fine with that. And while their prophecy was true, you know, the truth, the truth is it was God's will. And so their attitude was all, you know what? The will of the Lord be done. So it's very clear that Philip was somebody who had an exceptional family. Four daughters. It mentions their virgins. These were probably young, very young girls. You know, maybe teenage daughters. They could have been adults and just still virgins. Girls that had just given themselves to the Lord. But they were. They were being used of God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so this passage is not teaching, you know, too, that... Well, turn over to Acts chapter 2. Because, you know, what were these daughters? What were these daughters? Well, they were an example of the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. Now, I wish I could take time to preach on this, but this question comes up a lot. You know, my wife was just talking to me about this passage the other day. But it says, And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So right here, we shouldn't be surprised that we see these young ladies prophesying because it was prophesied that God was going to pour out a spirit on people and that young men and handmaidens, they were going to prophesy. Now, this passage, this does not mean that every man or every woman who wants to be included in this prophecy necessarily will be. Okay? Because a lot of times people will, you know, they'll, you know, you got the, in the Pentecostal world, you know, they're, they're constantly trying to do all these prophecies and things. And then when they give you some prophecy and tell you, well, the rapture is going to come on this date, you know, they're always wrong. But whenever they give you some weird prophecy, what do they always want to do? Well, you know, it says in Acts 2, 17 and 18, God was going to do that. Therefore, I'm a fulfillment of that. Well, actually, we actually see where it's already been fulfilled. And I'm not saying that it can't happen again today. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this question. Those of you who just, you feel like if you don't get an opportunity to prophesy like they did back then, that this verse isn't true. Well, first off, even if none of us ever do again, this passage is still true because it happened. Okay, we've already, we've already seen that. Okay, well, why isn't it going on more today? 
when have you ever needed to prophesy? Can you please tell me what you need to know that's not included in the scriptures? You know, can you please tell me, you know, why, why are we speaking in tongues? Can you actually, can you tell me when you really needed to speak in tongues? You know, can you tell me about a time maybe where, you know, you were standing before a council ready to possibly die if you're not given the right answers? When have we in our life in the United States needed the gift of the Holy Spirit in the way that he often showed himself here? We don't really need, but you know what? You want it. Why? So you can lift yourself up with pride. I'm one of those people. God gave me some vision. God gave you. No, God doesn't need you for that. Therefore, you haven't received that gift. If the time ever comes where God needs you to have that gift, then he may just give it to you. But just because you want it doesn't mean you're going to get it. And I could preach a whole sermon on that right there. And all these weird religions are out there. There's all these weird people out there that they want to claim this verse to give some prophecy that, that they came up with out of their own mind. That's not how these things work. That's not the way it worked with Philip and his daughters. And so don't go, don't go taking these verses like that and running with them. Okay? We're not allowed to do that. That is just a horrible expounding of the Scripture when we do that. So we, it, you know, most of us have never needed these gifts. So the main thing that we can learn from Philip is that if you want to be known for something good, then do something for good. Okay? Let someone else bestow the title on you. Don't do it for yourself. Okay? You say, well, what about these evangelists that are, that are planting churches all right, that aren't, aren't pastors yet? Well, here's why they're called evangelists. Because one, they've been chosen by a congregation to run a work somewhere. They are, in many cases too, even being paid to do that work somewhere. They have been appointed by a congregation to run a congregation somewhere. So if they call them an evangelist, that's fine. I'm just telling you, don't you go doing it to yourself. Let someone else call you that. Let a congregation do that. If you want to be evangelist, don't wait for the title. Just do it. Just do it. Look what it says. I'll close with this. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ... Who shall judge the quick and the dead? It is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Evangelism. An evangelist is not just a title, it is a work. And so if you are looking for a title for anything, first off, that's a terrible motivation, especially with spiritual things. Okay, but if you want to be an evangelist, that, that's a great work. But don't wait for somebody to just come, you know, and just one service, I just get an unction and then to just call somebody up here. All right, Jason, come on up here. You know, the Holy Spirit just... You know, led me to just name you church evangelist. You know, then I get a sword. I dub the, you know, evangelist. It's like, that's like these people are waiting for. No, if you want to be an evangelist, just do it. Go out there here in town and just start winning some people to Christ. Start bringing some people into church. Start when you're, when you get an opportunity to preach, start being a blessing. Start being, start edifying the church. And you know what? We, that may create opportunities where, Hey, we'll send you to do it here. And if wherever you're going, you're doing the job, you're doing it well. One of these days, hey, 
I know you. You're the evangelist. You know? yeah, that, that's what you're known for because you're good at it. And I believe that's why Philip was called the evangelist. And so I hope you all got something from that and will practice these things. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. Yeah, dear God, I pray you'll help us to not get all puffed up. Not Help us not to go looking for fancy titles and uh, ways to just exalt ourselves. The Lord, help us just do the work. Help us to be faithful to these things. And I pray you'll raise up just great, uh, great men in this church who will do great works for you and that, that you can use in a mighty way. In your name we pray. Amen.